Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. My guest for this episode is researcher, author and producer Ron Moorhead, who joined me to talk about his research into the Bigfoot Sasquatch phenomenon. Ron is best known for his Sierra Sounds project, where he and his colleagues have captured a compelling range of noises on tape made by unknown entities in the mountain forests of Northern California. These are the only recordings of their type that have been scientifically studied, time-tested and accredited as being genuine, and document a phenomenon Ron first experienced in the early 1970s, but which persists to this day. Here is an example of some of those sounds. He has also documented his personal interactions with these beings in his books, Voices in the Wilderness and The Quantum Bigfoot, and recently appeared in David Polides' documentary, Missing 411, The Hunted. It was fantastic to get someone with Ron's knowledge, experience and standing in Bigfoot research on the show to talk about his work and discuss the insights he has gained and the theories he has about what these creatures might be. Enjoy the show. Ron, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. To start off with, just tell us how your interest in Bigfoot began. Well, it began when uh, some friends of mine who were in a remote hunting camp in the Sierra Nevadas of California came out with a story. Who uh, and they uh, uh, said these big something was making a lot of noise around their camp. They went out and uh, looked at it, and it was a big five-toed footprint in the mud. And they are avid hunters, so they really knew it wasn't a bear from the sounds they heard. And uh, they came out and told the rest of us, actually the other hunters. I wasn't a hunter at the time. I was just friends with them. And uh, so the guys went back up. I didn't. And uh, one of the guys heard these sounds and just got scared off. So the next morning he left a note and he was out of there. But the guys didn't come back when they were supposed to after that. And uh, the wives were worried, so they... uh, they asked uh, if I would go with him because he'd go back if he had someone to go with him. And he, this guy's like a mule. I mean, he's really a man's man, a tough guy, but this really scared him. He's a very religious person, and uh, he just didn't know where something like this fit into his, his paradigm. Uh, very uh, very frightening sounds, actually, and uh, the beginnings ones were. So I went back up, and I seen the sizable footprint. The guys were okay. They had not been eaten or carried away in a sleep bag or anything like that, so which we didn't know at that time. This was during the 70s, and we didn't know at that time just what, what we were dealing with, what they were dealing with. They, they've been up there since the 50s uh, hunting, the uh, Johnson brothers, and uh, nothing like this had ever happened before. But when they went back, it happened more and more, and it's like uh, these things just got messed with their camp. Of course, eight miles into the wilderness, a very remote, imposing area to get to, the elevation is 8,400 feet, and... Uh, that's kind of what got me started. I started going back real often then, just as soon as somebody could go with me and uh, just wanted to know more about what was going on. And uh, so that's how it started with me. I became a hunter that winter, or that, but because you can't get in there in the wintertime. But by the time the season came around the next year, I was ready to hunt with them and I became part of the group. And we still encountered these things even a year later. In fact, we encountered them all the way through 76, and this was half started in 1971. So anyway, it's, it's been exciting. It got me on the study of these things, where giants came from, what they could be, and got into Greek mythology and got into uh, alien intervention, <laughs> into the genome of primates and stuff like that. So uh, got me into studying it all, and I've been doing it now for close to 50 years. Hmm. So did you, you grew up in that area near that camp? Well, actually, no, uh, none of us did. It's, it's in the uh, wilderness area. So we, we grew up, I grew up in Northern California, uh, 
and uh, moved down to a place called Merced in the San Joaquin Valley, and that's where I was when this started. And I'd been there with a businessman, and the other guys were business also. So uh, we uh, we were all from about 100 miles away. That's how far we had to drive to get to this spot. So when you were growing up in California, did you hear stories of creatures in the mountains? Uh, the only story I heard was the the uh, Bluff Creek, 1967. Uh, now, when I was a boy up in uh, Northern California, where I lived then, uh, you heard uh, some. The story was it was some wild Indian, that, that just a big guy, and uh, that's all we thought of it. I, I didn't have Bigfoot in my mind. None of us did. Not, nobody up there was looking for Bigfoot or these beings, whatever they are. Uh, it just happened to happen, and now now that I've been to it, I guess a lot of people are having it happen, and. A lot more sightings are going on, and uh, it wasn't until 67 when the Bluff Creek uh, film actually came out from the Roger Patterson event, and that kind of uh, put it on the spotlight for some people to really start focusing in on it, and I did. I started looking at that film because it started, this happened, I can say, for us, started in 1971, so I wanted to know as much as I could. I did watch that film, and I've since become friends with Bob Patterson, Roger Patterson, not Roger Patterson, but Bob Gimlin. He was the other guy with Roger. Roger's passed away. And so I know Bob quite well. I met him in 1978, I think it was. And uh, he's the other man that was there when the filming went on in the Bluff Creek. Hmm. But outside of that, uh, no, we were not into Bigfoot or thinking about it. Uh, it just wasn't uh, one part of our paradigm. Hmm. So when you started going up to sierra camp were you hearing these sounds every time you went up not every time no uh but most of the time in 71 72 especially it was really it's like they were trying to scare us off maybe or uh, we don't know hmm. curiosity or whatever we're way back in there and uh you can't get just get out right quick it's not like you can just call a taxi or something get gone <laughs> you're in you're in trouble if something happens uh so uh, we always tried to go up there as at least two or three, and sometimes all five of us. There was five of us, and we were all took, started taking tape recorders, recording what we were hearing. And it was 1972 when Al Berry, an re, uh, investigative reporter, came down to uh, interview us, and uh, we invited him up, actually, in 72. And he uh, he got some real good recordings, but he was uh, uh, very skeptical at first, like, like most people are about this because most people if they have an encounter it's just one glimpse or one something it's not repeated encounters like we were having and warren johnson the leader of our group he wrote a letter in, in the winter of 1971 to a uh, cryptozoologist ivan uh, uh, anderson and he thought it was probably just somebody pulling his leg so he sent it off to a guy named peter byrne uh, who had a research center in uh, the dallas oregon and Peter thought the same thing. It's nothing. Nobody has something like it. It's like it didn't hit with lightning twice if you have more than one encounter with these things. So he thought it would probably, well, he got a hold of Alan Berry, who was in California working for a newspaper at the time. Alan came down and interviewed us all. And unbeknownst to us, he was thinking it was a hoax, too. And we didn't know any of these people thinking it was a hoax. We thought, well, this is happening to us. How come they, could, they don't believe us? <laughs> you know, so all, all five of us have to be lying. And, uh, so anyway, Al uh, got up there and he was searching our bags when we weren't looking. He was trying to find who could be pulling this off it's in such a remote area and making these sounds. But he did get the recordings. Uh, he had them scientifically studied. He got, finally got a, a professor at the University of Wyoming to study these for a year. And he came out with quite the very good uh, well, he said they were not faked, and that's what we needed. Even though we knew they weren't faked, uh, he needed a professor somewhere to say that, and Professor Curlin did. He said they were not manipulated, they were not slowed down or speeded up or or no 60-cycle hum, uh, all that stuff to show. Because he had the original tapes, and he sent them off. And so we had that, but that's still not enough. He was an electrical engineer at the University of Wyoming. He did a thorough study, wrote about it, and presented to a, a symposium in Vancouver, B.C., 1978, I think it was. And uh, Anyway, it came out in a book, his paper did, uh, Man Like Monsters on Trial is the name of the book. And uh, he gives his full report in there. And uh, it shows that they were inside, outside, above, below, and 
all over the range uh, outside of human ability. But uh, he shows the uh, a graph of where the average human ability is, and these things go higher, and their oxygen can speak inside the human vocal range and below and above. So anyway, that was a big step, but it wasn't until 19, or excuse me, 2008 when uh, a cryptolinguist uh, trained by the Navy as a cryptolinguist, which uh, is quite an art form, really. He's a two-time graduate of the uh, cryptolinguistic uh, school in uh, Monterey, California, and uh, I vetted him. He was vetted quite thoroughly. And the guy says, you know, if he's a two-time graduate, and he was, of the school, he's more than qualified to transcribe a language. And he discovered and says professionally there is a complex language within these sounds that we recorded. And so that's been, that was a big deal. I didn't know a guy like that existed. His name's Scott Nelson. He is, now teaches foreign languages in Missouri. And uh, anyway, uh, he was, uh, he's, him and I started going up there. He came out because he wants more cooperative sounds uh, to record to uh, just get some more. But he never got them. A lot of times his batteries would go dead and a lot of unusual phenomena would happen around these things. So for one reason or another, uh, he couldn't, he couldn't capture the sounds anymore. Right. Okay. And so from analyzing those sounds and, and the language that emerged from that analysis, were you able to get an idea of the behavior of what was making those sounds? Well, you can get the behavior just from the intonations and the aggression of the sounds and you know, hmm. you're two of them arguing and stepping on each other and different things going on like that. We weren't sure if they were arguing over who was going to eat us first or who was going to get the food we left <laughs> out. <laughs> we didn't know. You don't know at the time. You don't know what you're dealing with. You just know it's, a, uh, it's something unusual. And we thought at the first it was just probably a, some kind of an ape that hadn't been discovered. But we didn't know uh, just how intelligent they were. And we underestimated them trying to trick them with camera traps and different things like that. And the uh, only thing we could ever capture was their, uh, their huge footprints, uh, tracks, and... Uh, their vocalizations, we did capture that on cassette tapes. So uh, so that's how it kind of went and goes. And uh, so I've been studying now this for uh, quite a long time and trying to, still trying to get a handle on it because it's kind of like nailing jello to the wall. You still got skeptics out there who don't want to accept the studies that we've had done on these sounds and, and the story that was behind it, um, which is fine. They don't have to accept it, but they can keep their head in the sand as long as they want to, but these sounds are, are credible. And uh, it did happen to us. We were getting glimpses once in a while. These things are so fast, so elusive. And like I say, we underestimated their intelligence level at the time. And uh, I still go up there, uh, try to anyway. Last time I was up in 2018. So it's been a while, but uh, right after that uh, is when the uh, fires were, in fact, there's fires down there burning as we speak. Mm. Uh, so it's, uh, I don't know what's left of the camp or how it is, but anyway, the area is still there. So depending on what's happened to it, uh, don't know yet. Uh, that's when, um, David Pilates, he's a filmer of the 411 series. I took him and his, uh, videographer up there to do a filming. He talked me into it because I've never taken anybody in there before because I don't want the place inundated with, um, Bigfoot researching and all that stuff going on and just whatever was going on would just stop probably so but uh, I let him go in I trusted him and known him for a long time and he did a filming on it and that's in his missing 411 the hunted missing 411 I got about a 15 minute episode in that and I, I explained the <clears throat> imposing trip in there and uh, so enigmas associated with the camp right yeah so from those fleeting glances that you got of the creatures were you able to get an idea of what they look like with it the classic image of a big is a large hairy humanoid was that what you were seeing i seen something very large hmm. very uh moving very rapidly on two legs through the trees and i uh, didn't see facial features it was just uh, it was evening and in fact i was recording at the time i saw it so that was pretty unique Normally, they wouldn't interact or make any sounds until we got inside this uh, shelter that we had up there, which is a group of trees in a circular fashion with a cable around it, uh, with deadfall leaning up against it. So that's what we were in. Uh, generally, when they'd come around and start making their sounds, and you know, I 
I call it interrogating. It <laughs> kind of sounds that way sometimes. But uh, this night, though, in 1974, uh, we were outside the shelter. Just me and one other guy. We'd gone with the horses and mules, taking supplies in for the for the season that year. And uh, uh, that's when they started making the noises early in the evening, just for just at dawn or daybreak. Excuse me, at uh, dusk. That's the word. Dusk. <laughs> that's when it starts to get dark. And uh, I pull out my little tape recorder from my saddlebag and started recording. And uh, you hear the chattering going on between them. And uh, you hear uh, them tapping on rocks, whooping sounds. And uh, then all of a sudden I get bold and uh, start yelling back at them. Because by then we knew they weren't there to eat us or they could already have their meal. Uh, so we, we, I was just started yelling back at them, trying to mimic them. And uh, that's when I heard... Uh, one cry out behind me and uh, that's what it was coined the samurai cry and uh, I'd like Matt Moneymaker from the BFRO uh, coined that in 1995 before he started the BFRO and uh, that's a Bigfoot research field organization in, uh, in the United States here and uh, so it's kind of gotten loose it's called the samurai chatter because the, all the chatter is kind of has an oriental fling to it which is quite interesting. At least the latter chatter, latter chatter, is that a word? <laughs> no, the first chatter was very aggressive sounding. The first ones we started recording in 71, 72. Uh, chest beating, uh, real rapid fire, very fast talk, which tends to make some people think maybe their brain works a little faster than ours because their, their language is so fast. Uh, it's different altogether. We, Scott Nelson, the cryptolinguist, cannot tell me what they're saying. He only knows that it is a language by the human definition of language, which means uh, a morphine stream of words uh, which make a sapient sentence like we're talking now. And only humans are supposed to have that. Only humans. And that's interesting to me because now that I've gotten into this, is, is the depth that I've gotten into it, I think these have probably got some human components to them. It could be a hybrid of, of some type. There's a lot of stories of them crossbreeding with the natives, and there's a lot of... Uh, mythical uh, stories like that in the Hebrew mythology and about uh, giants. So the whole world is full of uh, stories of giants. And for people to just dismiss that there couldn't be any here nowadays is is uh, not right because they are here. And what they are is still remains to be seen and studied. Mm, yeah, I'm interested, as, as you were with hunters and you were a hunter yourself, did you try and, and track these creatures? I mean, when you talk about finding footprints, did those footprints indicate their behavior and where they were going, like a location where they lived? Well, you would think that uh, anything could be tracked, and that's where a lot of researchers go, because if you can track them, you can find out where they go. Well, we couldn't. I mean, first of all, the ground's just not the type of ground where uh, it'd be easy to track something, because I guess there's some guys that, maybe could however there's a strangeness about these where the tracks can just stop and uh when they stop that's that's a mystery too we thought well they stepped on a boulder they went into the brush something happened like that that we just because we weren't professional trackers but of course we're hunters so uh and it used to be people would say that uh you know they follow a trackway and they just disappear out of the middle of nowhere and uh you kind of throw those people out with the baby water when you first hear it a lot of researchers still do. Uh, but now that I've got into quantum physics, which is the second part of our program, I guess, <laughs> where this has taken me, I uh, find that there is a, a way that can happen. And uh, I actually had it happen to me in 2011 when I was up there. My daughter had saw one, and uh, we found the trackway, and then it just stopped. And now these tracks were very deep, uh, very uh well, we couldn't make them as much as we stomped on the ground. You couldn't get as deep as these were. And it was right after she had saw one. And so I started looking around. Where could it have gone? I looked up at trees. There's no trees there it could have jumped to. It was trees, but not that it would support something this big. And then I looked for boulders, brush, whatever, and I couldn't find anything. So that kind of led me to think, well, maybe there is something to this. How could that be? I was just into quantum physics uh, 10, 12 years ago, and so I started looking at that. Al Berry, the, re the reporter that we took up there, he had a master's degree in science, and he says, 
don't talk about unusual stuff <laughs> when you get into this subject. He says people won't believe you and they'll just not even invite you anywhere to speak anymore about this. So for a long time we didn't. Neither one of us would talk about the unusual attributes that these things seem to possess. Uh, I have my theories now, which we'll talk about later, but uh, there's something unusual. Why hasn't a body been found? Everybody, well, if there was one around, mm -hmm. we'd found the body. Well, you could follow the trackway. Well, no, you can't. I mean, there's things that happen that you just don't follow. The you just don't. Or you can't. So anyway, uh, that's that's it for trackways. The, the tracks are uh, have been very the same uh, splayed look. You know, five-toed, big. Uh, we found a little nine-inch track one time in a next to an 18-inch track in snow in the snow uh, up there. So we we could only follow that till the snow ran out. Then we couldn't anymore. And uh, so there's a little one up there too. There was then anyway. And uh, I think that's the one my daughter saw in 1996. I think it was when she witnessed one just uh, not too far behind us, standing up at the campsite. And just her and I were up there, and she turned around, seeing this thing standing there watching us. And uh, that's, she said it was just tall, skinny, and she reminded her just a tall, black basketball player, <laughs> but very broad-shouldered, right. broad-shouldered. But it wasn't bulky at all. She was very masculine. So anyway, uh, trackways, uh, yeah, you have to listen to the second part of my story to understand that one. <laughs> was there anything else like uh, smells or... Or any, any other sort of physical evidence? Not normally, no. Uh, as close as these things were, we didn't get the smell. And I mean, they were really close to our shelter at times. But there was only one time when I smelt uh, something foul, and that was 1976 when we had to shoot a bear that was tearing up our camp. And uh, I had, it, wasn't the, uh, it wasn't the smell of the rifle that we shot him with because uh, we tried to run him off and Normally, black bears in that area are not aggressive, but this one was. He started coming at us, and uh, we shot him just uh, probably 20 feet away from us when he stood up and decided he wanted our food worse than we did. <laughs> so, but uh, anyway, uh, that's the last we heard from him, because prior to that, there was one of them yelling up a, a behind our camp, and that's when we were hearing something disturbing our, our belongings at the stove area down there. We had packed in on mules uh, years before, reassembled, and we used it to cook on. So uh, we went out, tried to shoot him off. But anyway, to make a long story bearable here, um, we ended up shooting him. And uh, after that, we never got the close-in stuff anymore. You know, not the close-in chatter like we were recording in the 70s, early 70s. But they're still around. There's still something going on up there. And... Uh, Nothing happened in 2018, i got to tell you that, because it was just really smoky at the time from fires. We didn't see any deer, didn't see any bear, didn't see anything. And uh, that's that's kind of uh, unusual, really, for that area. Right, okay. Did you notice any other sort of unusual animal behavior when you were up there? That, that like a change in behavior that, was, that might be related to, to these creatures? Well, our horses, if that's what you're referring to, uh, they would really cause a commotion when the bear mm. was coming around. Any bear would come around camp, they would just tromp and stomp and do all that stuff. But when these creatures were making their sounds, they wouldn't. They were like frozen. They were just staring uh, or towards wherever the sound was coming from. So that's puzzling to some people. They think the horses would have been disturbed, but they weren't. And uh, that's that's just the way mm. it was. Why? I don't know. Unless these things have some type of a spell they put on them. <laughs> I don't know. There's so much we still don't know about this phenomenon, but it's an interesting subject for sure. And I'm just happy that uh, I'm on programs like yours to uh, help people maybe understand what we were dealing with. Because um, I don't think they were all the same. I, I do believe there's different types of these things out there. I know it's hard to solve one problem with another problem or one mystery with another mystery, but I kind of got to get into that and I'll tell you why later, mm. uh, why I believe that way. Right. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, how, how has your um, research and, and on, on these creatures changed since you started back in the seventies? Has your view on what these creatures are changed much or 
have you got a pretty firm idea in your in your mind of what they might be? Well, I, I have yeah, you know, uh, I have an idea, and uh, I think it's based in, in my experiences and also the interviews that I've when I've interviewed people and talked to them about sightings they've had and different things that I've researched over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me tell you a little story first. Uh, Warren Johnson and I were up there, just he and I, and we heard one of these things chattering outside, and we thought, we're going to jump. We was getting kind of bold. At that time, we didn't, didn't think they were going to harm us at that. But we still don't know. So you kind of, we thought, well, we'll jump out of the shelter right quick, and we'll see it run off, because it's got to be behind one of these big trees over here. And it's bright moonlit night, so we... We get out and we start walking up towards that big tree where we thought it had to be. We're going to see this thing run away, right? We're going to get a good glimpse of one. Well, we got up there so many feet from that tree, and uh, we both got frozen our tracks like a force field, I call it in my my first book, Voices in the Wilderness. And it, it's just like you got stopped. We weren't talking to each other. We weren't, uh, weren't conversing at all. We were just slowly creeping up towards that tree. And he looked at me and he said, I can't go any further and I said I can't either and we could go backwards but we're going to go forward now that's unusual so I talked this uh, about a scientist who knew about our stuff up there and he he said uh, you know we can't science can't work with your fear and I said you know it was not fear we were not afraid at that time we were really wanting to know more about it and he says well then it has to be pheromones or infrasound and uh so I kind of went with infrasound because pheromones only work within the same species. Well, infrasound can affect human emotions, and uh, so I kind of we kind of thought that at the time. However, now that I've studied this for so long, uh, pheromones work within the same species. So if they are part human, a human hybrid of some type, uh, got more human component in them, it could have been pheromones. But something definitely stopped us both, and it was something that I've only experienced one other time up there. And it's like somebody put a spell on you or something. It just, it just kind of a freaky feeling. You can't, you can't do what you want to do. And uh, so that's, uh, now I think I kind of gave away what I think. I think they're, they're a hybrid of type. And uh, I, uh, I can tell you more about that if you want to know <laughs> whenever you get ready. Yeah, please go ahead. Well, you believe in UFOs? Do you believe in aliens? Uh, I mean, they're kind of being talked about now all over the United States, all over the world, really. Uh, uh, UFOs are being seen. They've been documented now by the Navy. They're letting out all this information over here in the United States. And I think worldwide, I know down in, when I've been in Bolivia and these different places, uh, they take UFOs for granted down there. But the government here has kind of suppressed that up until now. And I think they've been suppressing it since... 40s but uh, now they're not they're letting, it, letting it stuff out and declassifying a lot of stuff so <clears throat> ufos are being seen they're being witnessed they're being filmed and uh somebody or something is flying those things so that would call that an alien or a being from the cosmos or something like that uh, these things are what i've seen worldwide and i've traveled pretty much the world with uh, i've been in nepal siberia uh Spoke at the Darwin Museum in Moscow. I've been uh, to Peru, uh, well, the Bolivia. I've seen, I've seen remains of something that isn't human, and uh, quite a bit of it, really. And I've seen the megalithic structures from different parts of the world. And these structures, uh, we can't do that today. Whatever was done, so there's been an ancient uh, uh, intelligence here uh, beyond, beyond ours in the past. And I, I kind of think that they've messed with the genome of different beings on this planet, primates being one and possibly animals being another. Uh, so that being the case, if that's happened, that would mean there could be more than one type of these, some with different attributes than others. So uh, that's where I go with it a little bit. Uh, and I, I firmly believe there has been advanced intelligence here. I've seen, like I say, the, the structures they've done, and most people have seen that too that's been watching. Uh, so I, you know, this kind of fall, I've been, I was raised religiously. I mean, I'm a Christian. I, I think that, you know, I don't disbelieve that there's a divine being or beings someplace, uh, how it falls into, uh, Darwinism and into, uh, how we evolved and into 
religious uh, texts and things like that is is where I go with my study, and that's what brought me to my second book, The Quantum Bigfoot. Hmm. So I get into how spirituality and physics kind of work together. Uh, if you get into, uh, I think it was a Tesla said it takes. Uh, no, wait a minute. It was a Dr. Uh, Edgar Mitchell said it takes classical and quantum sciences together to have clear perception. And uh, I love that statement. Uh, hmm. There's also another statement that uh, Nikola Tesla said, and he said, the day science begins to study non-physical phenomena, it will make more progress in one decade than all the previous centuries of its existence. Well, where you go with that one? And a lot of people, there's a lot of statements that these famous men of Einstein all the way into uh, Tesla and Bohr of these different physicists, but they seem to be uh, not included in our, in our average thinking. We think everything is based in Newtonian physics and pretty much everything in our three-dimensional environment is based in Newtonian physics. But as we know, when we get into science uh, and the physics, there are more than three dimensions and that's all we live in is three and the four counting time. But there's supposedly, according to the math and in, in physics, uh, quantum physics, there's 11, at least 11 dimensions out there. So when you get into aliens and craft, how they move around, how they do things, I think you have to consider quantum physics and how they do what they do. And if these things are some type of, at least what we're dealing with, if there are some type of a, um, a being with um, the attributes that aliens have given them from crossbreeding with indigenous uh, troglodytes or what have you, um, you know, sky's the limit on what, what they might be. Uh, they're big, they're hairy, they look like an ape, but they've got the face, uh, all the reports I've had anyway, are very humanistic faced uh, with expressions on it. I, I know for a fact from my dealings with them that they are very, very smart, intelligent, intuitive, and uh, so when you get into that, uh, you got to just have an open mind. And I try to tell uh, researchers, especially when I talk at these conventions, that if you don't have an open mind with this, you're kind of eliminating yourself. But most all of them want to think that if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. Well, excuse me, but that's bullshit. <laughs> you know, things exist that you don't see. You don't hear ultrasound. You don't hear infrasound, but they exist. We only hear within certain frequencies. And according to Tesla, everything is, or according to physics, I should say, everything is vibrational frequency and energy. And everything is vibrating at a certain frequency. And our vision is also restricted within certain frequencies, the light frequency. Yet there's other frequencies all the way through the spectrum that you don't see. Just our eyes don't pick it up. Animals' eyes can. Some animals, a cat can see better than we can. A camera's lens can often pick up orbs and things that our eyes don't see. And uh, I've witnessed some of that myself uh, at the Montana Vortex. And uh, at there, we, with a camera, you can take pictures out in the middle of the night and you don't see anything, but the camera will show a, an orb. And I uh, thought, well, that's a reflection off the camera. That's a speck of dirt or something. Well, no, I've seen some type of a design inside that orb when you look at it through the lens of the camera. And uh, there's something going on with energy. And I think these orbs are energy. Uh, they have an intelligence by them. The last something unusual happened to me up at our camp was in 2016 when this bar of light, I say bar of light, is probably three or four foot long, glowing, comes floating by our camp. <laughs> God, what do you do with that? I mean, <laughs> it's not normal. You know, whatever it is, it's just not normal. And you don't know what it's doing. We watched it for several seconds uh Oh, probably a minute and it just was slowly moving in and out of the trees um, it just man uh, so that's a little uh, concerning because you don't know if it's coming in and, and taking you or you don't know what it's doing but it, it seemed to be unconcerned about us just floated by us and kept going well that's strange but that's not so strange for where we're at <laughs> there's other strange things happened up there too that you can't put your finger on it's just, uh, it's just unusual, and that's, again, what got me into quantum physics. 
this time up there when we thought our outs in the 70s when we thought something was tearing up our, our camp out there like, like what we heard before when the bear was doing but this we looked out there and nothing had changed and what do you do with that how do you explain that uh you think that our barrels that we packed in on mules was being ripped off the trees and thrown around and you look out there and nothing's happened nothing's changed and uh, you know, you're either hearing into a parallel dimension, you're hearing, they have a vocal mechanism, which we do know this, their vocal mechanism is much more expansive than ours. They can do things that we can't do, which makes them very good mimics, by the way. And uh, they can either make that those type sounds with uh, with their vocal mechanism and make us think that just to play with us, because I think sometimes they play with people. In fact, I'm quite sure they played with us a few times up there. They think that we think we're smarter than them. And... Uh, we're not <laughs> just kind of come out and say it. <laughs> These things, whatever they are, they, they got to, at least what we were dealing with. I can't say they're all the same, but what we were dealing with up there is uh, very, very intuitive and very different. Do you think that they're native to the environment that you encountered them in? Because it seems like a lot of people encounter these types of creatures, tall, hairy humanoid beings in, in forests and in mountains like like where you were so why do you think that is well i think they uh they probably like it there they could stay away from humans there they don't want to have anything to do with us uh why they were dealing with us up there at the camp we don't know to this day other than they were trying to tell us something or make us aware of something that maybe we could reveal later on like i'm doing these days with you and others uh, Maybe it's uh, they don't want to be around humans. I think we're 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 corrupting this world, this earth, and whatever they are, they don't like it. They want to be just in the forest, left alone, eat what we you know. They eat deer. They eat, they're omnivorous like we are, and if they get out of there and get into uh, these rural areas where people are too much of that and are seen too much. Uh, they're going to be more and more known, more and more talk about them. So I think they find safety in the forest. They find plenty of food in the forest and uh, less people. But however, more and more people are encroaching into the forest nowadays. And uh, these things are multiplying. I do believe that. So there's your answer. My answer anyway. One thing that interests me is that there's more and more evidence now of there being civilizations in the continental United States much earlier than is generally perceived. I mean, I know that like Raymond Hancock written a book called America before, and he has his theories about the kind of civilization that was in America a long time ago, like thousands of years ago. I mean, do you think that that could perhaps be something that connected to what Bigfoot is? So, I'm very I'm open-minded to what you're talking about the, the the concept of of some other civilization kind of ge- manipulating the genetics of humanity but but also do you think it's possible that a humanity story just goes back a lot further than we're told and it's more complex than we than we understand and that could inform what what Bigfoot is Absolutely <clears throat> Yes yes I think it's been rebooted more than once in the past I think uh, they brought themselves to extinction almost, the verge of it anyway. And I do believe the troglodytes have been here. The caveman did evolve. Uh, where we came from uh, is another story. Uh, Elohim, which is translated as God in the uh, biblical uh, version. And uh, it's also plural, which means uh, they, them, several. So could that be an alien uh, intervention? Anyway, that's what we're supposedly humans are made from. Uh, we made of that image and uh if that's the case that's uh that's not billions of years old like some of these uh, things that we're seeing around the earth now i think we got kickstarted into a certain type of being sapient being that we are today uh, not too many thousands of years ago maybe 10 or 11 12 maybe and that's what we're made from a very special entity and it's given us our dominance on earth allowing us to screw it up again <laughs> whatever but um i think humans of some type or maybe not humans like we think of humans today but 
some type of bipedal hominids have been here in the past and they have uh, probably uh, screwed up again. I mean, that's what man does, uh, especially when you got an ego and you got the, uh, all this independent thinking going on and people trying to outdo each other and killing each other and all that. Well, you got to get out of there. This is a work. We have to advance from that. We have to evolve, I think, from what we what we think we are. Uh, and the whole universe is evolving according to science, and we're evolving according to Darwin. Uh, humans are evolving. Everything's evolving. But you're not going to evolve if you don't get your vibrational frequency high and start creating things and doing things out of love and compassion for others. But when you start hurting people and killing people and all that, you're just making things go backwards. You're not going to evolve, and you're not going to be what we need to be. And what we need to be is what we've been taught by the uh, master of all, I should say, is we got to be better people and stop doing what we're doing, uh, polluting the earth so badly. Uh, I got I get off subject sometimes, so just wrap me in if you want to, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I'm from my point of view. I I wonder if Bigfoot, the creature that we're talking about, is is native to our reality because some of the ways that it behaves and some of the reports that people have of their experiences, it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like a supernatural creature or something, something that isn't permanently in our reality. It can come into our reality. Yeah, uh, I believe them to be interdimensional, a lot of them. I'm not sure they all are. Some of them may be just a relic hominid brought up through the ranks and uh, like that, but... uh, what we were dealing with up there, I, I often wonder now why we didn't see them more. Uh, we only get glimpses of them occasionally, and uh, they just they move very fast. We thought, well, they're just very stealthy, and they are stealthy. But then when Al Berry recorded these things at night, from the recordings he had studied, he should have been able to see something. It sounds like the thing's holding the microphone. I mean, that's how clear these sounds are, <laughs> the first ones in 71, 72. Um, the ones I created in 74 was from a little cheap saddlebag tape recorder I had sitting out when these things started dealing with this. But the 72 sounds that Albert recorded, uh, again, he never got a glimpse of one even. Uh, he should have been, we should have been able to see more of them as close as they were to us. Now, one time, uh, one of the guys did. He was looking through the crack in the shelter wall, and this thing come waltzing by there about 15 feet from the shelter, and he saw it. And they measured it the next day, how high it was. And it would have been uh, 8 to 10 foot tall. It left a 19-inch track there. But as soon as he turned around and whispered to his uncle, Lewis, uh, there's one right here. Well, the thing, when he turned back around, it was looking straight at him and just turned around and shot off. So they, they did sneak up. You do sneak up on once in a while, huh? like, uh, like uh, Patterson did in 1967. Uh, so... Uh, who knows? Uh, I think they probably have an attribute, uh, several that we just don't understand, and it could be uh, derived from their nuclear DNA, which is from the uh, male counterpart of their uh, whoever created them, whoever made them, whoever messed with the genome of whatever. Hmm. Have you have a have you yourself or anyone you know had an experience where they've suddenly found themselves turned around in a familiar location? Because I know sometimes people have reported that they'll be somewhere familiar. At- and suddenly they'll be lost and they'll struggle to find their bearings. I've heard those reports more than once. It's never happened to me. As far as I know, it hadn't happened to any of the guys up there. Uh, so uh, it has not happened to me. I can't uh, attest to that one way or the other, other than when you get so many reports coming in that have the same type of uh, report, you got to kind of wonder what's going on here. These people don't know each other. They're not, are they lying or... What's, they can't all be lying. I mean, well, I guess it could be, but when they all have a similar type reports, like what you just mentioned, there's, there's could be something to it. And they could be walking through a portal of some type, which is an energy field. Uh, I heard a very interesting report like that coming out of Oregon a few years back. And the guy was so sincere. I mean, he wasn't smoking nothing <laughs> strange or he wasn't drunk, you know. I mean, the guy, uh, he really had an experience. And uh, 
I don't question people's experiences so much. I put them in my little my little computer, my brain, and just let it sit back. If you get enough reports of the same thing from different people that don't know each other, then you start weighing it better and seeing what's going on here, what could be causing this. Uh, it's like they step into another world, and uh, I know it's exactly what you're saying there because I've heard those reports more than once. So what's happening there, I would assume they're just stepping into a, well, I think you've heard about the Skinwalker Ranch over here in the United States, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. 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 And what's going on there, you know, NASA's been studying that. I'd say NASA, the government has. They got the $30 million grant here some years back to study that phenomena there. Yeah, so the, there's... the giant wolves, are, it's a, that's a pretty crazy encounter, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh-huh. And... You know, when I start talking like this, I try to sound coherent. <laughs> yeah, you're doing a good job. Now, <laughs> people people put me in the woo-woo camp, they call it. And I, I said this the other day to somebody. If they're going to put me in the woo-woo camp, just, I'll, I'll go with it. You know, Just put me in there with Tesla <laughs> and Einstein, all those guys. Because what one man calls God, another man calls the science of quantum physics. And that's a Tesla statement right there. So, I think it's okay to be in the woo-woo camp. I think that's all right. <laughs> Well, the thing is, if you're not in the woo-woo camp, you've got your head in the sand because woo-woo is quantum physics, and uh, you, you can't get your head around the quantum physics. I know I was involved with a whole group of scientists, uh, and uh, they uh, kind of, I think they kicked me out of the club because I said, okay, if everything is measurable, like Newtonian physics says, everything is measurable and predictable, and uh, if that's the case, uh, somebody tell me how far it is to the end of the universe. And I, that's a question I've been asking since I was a kid, you know. How far is it? To where, what's at the end of the universe? It's just hard to get your head around that. You can't imagine that. You can't imagine something without an end to it. Everything we know of has an end to it. Well, you got you got to conceive the other dimensions. You can't understand them. You just have to conceive that they are there. Mathematically, they are there through physics. And uh, if you want to deny that, you can do that. But just know that there's more going on than what meets our three-dimensional eyes. And I think it's important for people to keep their head open and their mind open, when, especially if you're dealing with this field here, these things. I do believe there is a connection with these things and UFOs, aliens. Uh, so I'm coming right out and saying that stuff nowadays. I didn't used to. Afraid people laugh at me or something. I don't care anymore. You know, just at the point where I just want to say what I want where I think my studies have taken me in my research. Yeah, I mean, I think with, with something like this, you've got to be able to bring different ideas to the table, haven't you? I think that the truth, if, if, there ever, if, there, if there is a sort of a truth to it, is that there's probably more than one explanation for what's going on rather than there just being one. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, well, like uh, Max Planck, uh, he's the, actually the inventor, I guess you want to call it, of quantum physics. He got a Nobel Prize in 1918. That's how recent it is. But uh, he said in a statement, he said, science changes one funeral at a time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I love that quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Science uh, have put themselves in a box, and they've put themselves in a box of Newtonian physics only. And uh, unfortunately, uh, that's not all there is. And until until they just pass away and some new fresh blood gets in there and changes something, you know, and that's what's happening nowadays, I think, is uh, there's some fresh science going on and too many people are questioning things that just doesn't make sense. So uh, until you get into quantum physics, uh, it won't make sense. Hmm. Some of it, well, again, some of these things may just be rather commented, brought up through Darwin's theory of evolution. He just missed, missed one little piece there. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever experience stones being thrown at you or objects or <clears throat> objects in your camp disappearing and reappearing, anything like that? Well, we've had strange things. Now, one of the guys coming up to our camp, uh, he, he was coming from a different way, and he had some big rocks being thrown over his head. And uh, he went a different way after that. But what that is, I think, and one of all the reports I've heard, uh, is one of these things just don't want you coming that way because of a possibly a young one or who knows why they just don't want you there so i suggest going a different way and i went up alberry and i went on an expedition uh, 
these guys invited us in. They said they've been seeing these things occasionally and different things going on. So we went way back in the wilderness in Northern California. And uh, we sat around the campfire that night. And uh, this rock comes whizzing by us. I mean, it was hurled by something. It was a humongous arm or a catapult by something. And it hit a tree about 30 feet up. You see this big chip off the tree. You find this big rock at the bottom the next morning. And uh, Al Berry was recording at the time. It sounded like an arrow mm. going by, like that, and just hit that tree. So there's nobody up there with a catapult, you know. And it's way back in an old mining camp, a mining area. So there was a, a road there, but it was just, that wasn't, you know, something threw rock at us. These guys would not spend the night. They said, we just, they would not, they've been seeing this stuff. Alberry and I spent the night there. And that's another story of a rock being thrown. And I've heard a lot of people say rocks being thrown, but they never get hit by the rock. Because I'm sure if these things wanted to be hit you, they could do that. They probably hunt that way. Uh, that it is, chase whatever they're wanting down. They're very fast, so they could probably chase a deer down easily. So rocks, uh, it happens. But again, I think it's just their way of saying, don't go this way. Hmm. Don't come this way. It's similar behavior that I've read about in poltergeist cases too that's something that i find intriguing is that some of these things like rock throwing and things like that they they appear in other something you wouldn't normally associate with with bigfoot but it it does seem like that in certain areas there are these similarities of of phenomenon Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, i've heard rocks being thrown away from canada down into where we were in california uh, so it's not unusual, the rocks. It's just what would be very, very, very unusual if they... Because that'll draw attention if they want to kill somebody. Mm. So they don't want to do that, I don't think. They're not supposed to interfere with our karma. I think we are supposed to do what we're supposed to do, whatever confronts us uh, in our challenges on this three-dimensional world that we're living in. And uh, if these things start interfering and trying to uh, mind speak to us or tell us, no, don't do that, don't do this in a, in a physical way... Uh, that's interfering with what we're supposed to respond to and how we're supposed to respond to it makes such a difference in our future. Again, like I said earlier, you've got to respond to things with with compassion and love and don't hurt somebody. And I think that's going to uh, create your karma. It's what's going to make you higher vibration or not. And everything's vibration, so you've got to get your vibration frequency up. In fact, you know that uh, a tone on a piano... If you raise it so many octaves, it'll change it into light, and that's a that's fact. So, right things happen. Most people just don't don't want to research. They just want to live their day by day by day by day. And uh, I think they have to start looking deeper if they want to know something deeper, understand mm. something that's deeper. Music is an amazing thing. I, you know, you you, you can forget because you're surrounded by music every day, most days. You kind of take it for granted a little bit, but it is a, it is an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. You try playing a piano when you've gone <laughs> up and, up to zero camp. <laughs> See if they'll respond to that. <laughs> you hardly get one of those on the back of a mule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor I see a poor mule. <laughs> no, uh, in fact, we we haven't even taken a guitar up there. We have taken uh, recordings up there and tried to replay them, which didn't do any good at all. You can't trick these things. I, I got to tell you, uh, we've tried to trick them. We tried to coach them in. You just got to let them do what they're mm-hmm. going to do if they're going to do it. It's it's their time, their their place, their time. Uh, you can't make something happen. Is what I'm saying. They want to deal with you because your vibrational frequency is is calm or whatever. And uh, and I think they are tuned into the earth like uh, we should be. And like Native Americans used to be, and I think that's why they could communicate with some people on their level and of their frequency, and they can't, they won't communicate with other people. Hmm. And I said communicate. I mean, uh, either through telepathically or just physically, like we had happen to us. Because whatever we was dealing with up there, we, I'm sure they had to be physical because they poop, they, they, they mix their sounds, they. They took our food uh, with the food we left out. They never would take it here. We had hanging or something like that, but they would move it, but they wouldn't take it. Um, they procreate. 
So whatever is there was physical, but do they have more than just that? Is there more to them than just that? So I get into, is there more to us than just what we are? Yes, I think there is. What gives yeah. us our telepathic ability? What gives us our remote viewing ability? What gives us this stuff that some people have and some people say they don't have? Well, everybody has it. They just haven't learned how to develop it yet. They haven't learned how to decalcify the pineal gland. They haven't learned uh, what it takes and why certain certain people have these abilities and certain people don't. It's because a lot of times I think it's the diet that you got is uh, screwing up your body. Uh, it's amazing uh, what you get into when you start studying and looking into things and you get to be as old as i am uh, you know well never mind <laughs> i won't talk about that <laughs> so where are you now with your research what do you have planned well actually i have planned i'm supposed to see a gentleman when we get through here he wants to talk to me about some encounters he's had around here and i'm in the olympic peninsula of washington state and uh, I'm part of the Olympic project, which has got meetings going on this afternoon, actually, too. Also, also this weekend, I put the uh, their place. Um, they set up camera traps. They do all the stuff that you would think a researcher would want to do, but they never capture anything on them. So wild animals, uh, no Bigfoot. But yet there's a lot of Bigfoot reports, a lot of Bigfoot reports up here. And I speak at conferences when they have conferences. I've only spoken at one this summer because... That was in Minnesota uh, just a few weeks ago, and the others have been canceled. I was supposed to speak at George Norrie's program here the, this month, and it's been canceled, postponed, I should say. Uh, so I'm researching uh, on a different level. I, I listen to people, and I try to add to, to what I think I've got going on, which is putting the dots together. And this guy, according to him, I haven't met him yet, this guy I'm supposed to meet with this afternoon, he's... He's uh, claiming him and two other guys uh, saw one disappear. I've heard this time and time again uh, over the years. I used to throw those people out with baby water too, but I don't do that anymore <laughs> because there's, there's a thing called density, and that's how trackways stop. Because if they can change their matter, which we all are, the most minute level, all of us are energy, vibrating different frequencies. If you can change that matter into energy, you wouldn't have the density, and you would stop leaving tracks, and you would cloak. So uh, that's what people are seeing. I've seen some of this even filmed, you know, kind of a pixelation uh, look. And in fact, this movie I talked about earlier with David Polites, the session he has right after me in this uh, 401 The Missing Hunted, um, there's a woman who saw that and uh, very credible. He only puts credible things out. I've got to say that because I'm in there. <laughs> I like that part. Uh, but that gives you an idea. It's kind of like the predator look. In fact, I think that's what he calls it, the predator look. And yeah, I yeah. I've you, watched that film. It's Bruce McAbee's wife, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she was in a tree stand and she's seen this uh, pixelated form going from one tree to another. Well, I got to tell you, uh, there's a lady here and I know her extremely well because she's my wife. She saw that and uh, she didn't see the film, but she saw that incident happen a few years back and she just freaked her out because it, it had the form of a, of a Bigfoot. And she told the, uh, where we stand, these people live in this big forested area where she saw it and what she saw and they'd been seeing them physically in that area. And, uh, it's a well, it's a longer story than what we probably got time to get into, but no, that's I've okay. You can to, tell it if you want. <laughs> well, I've talked to other people that's had the same thing. There's a couple of people here that that have seen that, and uh, there's a couple of people at different places that seen it. And in fact, I talked to a guy that saw it. Said he saw it in Alaska. He seen this bigfoot disappear. Well, does it disappear? Or does it just go out of our perception? The hmm. way it disappears from what we see. So, is it going into another dimension? Or is it just, is it frequency changing to go out of our perception? Uh, that's what we we just don't know. Because it's so far away from Newtonian physics, if you don't understand quantum physics, you won't, you won't want to even touch the subject. And so many researchers won't. Somebody says they disappeared. Well, automatically they're kicked out. They're kicked out of the Bigfoot Club. <laughs> they don't think they're not going to be listened to anymore because they're in the woo-woo camp. Well... Like I say, woo-woo and quantum physics is about the same thing. Uh, so there's also uh, the Native American lore says they live in two worlds. 
Yeah. What does that mean? You know, where could you, how do you, would you interpret that? They also say they live in trees. And I noticed over the years, I've taken so many reports from people that, that have seen them. They say, <clears throat> go into a tree. And they'll start off telling you they came out of a tree or came from behind a tree. But then they realize the tree is only two foot around. This thing had four foot broad shoulders, you know, that came out of a tree. Well, do they energize in trees? Is that how they, is that why you don't find a body? Uh, could that be? Because there's so many reports when they're timbering places, they see they see these Bigfoot watching. And uh, just this neighbor, tribe up not far from where I'm at, uh, they were timbering and this guy calls me up. Now, they didn't put this together, but they said, They've been hearing these things screaming during the night where this place is being timbered. And uh, they know what a Bigfoot sounds like, so they they said it's a Bigfoot. Uh, I've heard this over the years. I talked to a Paul Bunyan-type guy, I mean, big guy. He's very quiet, spoken. He came to me and he was about my involvement in Bigfoot. And he says, i got to tell you, I was cutting this tree up out in the middle of my field and I seen this guy squatting over there watching me. And I put my chainsaw down and started walking towards him and just stood up and walked away and it was a Bigfoot. <laughs> he, said, well, he walked behind this brush and the brush was seven foot tall and he seen his head behind the brush. So that's how big it was. And uh, this is the kind of guy that doesn't talk much. And he said, I got to tell you that. And so timbering bothers him because we're, we're killing what gives us life. You know, we breathe the air that trees give us. And I think these things don't want us to do that. Uh, so many reports come out of where they timber. And uh, I've kind of got that part of my, my little puzzle here too. You know, hmm. I don't think they like us destroying the planet. Yeah, I mean, the idea of a, of a forest guardian, I, I do like that idea. Well, I do too. It's just, uh, like I said before, when you put so many things you get so many reports from different people over the years and you kind of put them all together to see if it gives you a picture and that's what i do and that's what i've done and that's the picture i've got i don't think they like us cutting trees so uh and that's why sometimes you'll see a, one guy asked me a while back uh, why do you suppose they break these trees big trees you know eight ten inches around just broken they're dead trees could they be not any good anymore uh what's why are they breaking trees <laughs> Sometimes they come, come crashing through the jungle, jungle, forest, uh, or bluff charging you. They toy with you. I got to tell you, I think some hmm. of them just flat toy with you. <laughs> they want to see what your reaction is going to be. They want to see what you'll do, and they want to do it without you knowing who they are. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. In fact, there's a, this second CD I have uh, that I sell. Uh, I got these recordings I made in 74 when I was interacting with them. And you can hear a little voice in that. Uh, uh, and the big voice coming down on it like a mother and child or something like maybe the child's getting too close to us. And sometimes it sounds like they're, they're kind of, their conversation sounds a little humorous, like they're making fun of us or something. I didn't catch that at the time, but after I listened to it later on, uh, yeah, these things think we're funny. <laughs> 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 maybe we're that's stupid. it maybe they're um they're like tourists or something just coming to look at us and how how silly we are <laughs> well again i think i think they think we're that we think we're smarter than them and they are foxes and that's why i say it's got to be their terms and their time because i tell researchers when they go in the woods just leave things alone just sit down and calm your calm yourself don't be trying to analyze things and don't think about your job back in the town or who's not showing up for work or who is and just be one with nature you'll lower your frequency and you'll you'll become one with the earth take your shoes off if you want to if it's warm enough plant your feet to the ground and just become one and you have a better chance that way than anything i can think of hmm. and i know when we were up at our camp we were all well, not all of us but three or four of us were business guys we had employees i had over 200 employees at one time and you, you you get all this stuff going in your head, but you get up there and you're in you're in you're serene. You know, you're just in you're in God's country. I guess I gotta put it. It's just so pretty and streams and trees and mountains and nobody and and you just you're calm. You just relax. And then we 
that we weren't thinking that way. We just were. And, and that's, we had all these encounters going on for all this time. So I think that's got something to do with it, too. Your vibrational frequency will lower to the Earth's frequency, which I think all animals are tuned into, and these things are probably tuned into it also. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, I get the sense that in the past, human societies had a more sophisticated understanding of reality, or at least they were more comfortable with what the world around them was. And now we're sort of, we live in a... You know, often we live in a world where we're told something either is or isn't, and to the to the extent that with the, there could be you know conflict over over these ideas, and perhaps that's part of it. Like you were saying, they were these creatures were were something that that in the past humanity had a healthy relationship with, but because over time things have changed, now it's a bit more not not fractious as such, but slightly broken relationship, and it's. And something needs to happen for it to kind of be restored to, to how it was. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I got just got a quote here, another Edgar Mitchell quote. You want to hear it? Yeah, sure. He said, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, he was the astronaut, and he's the one who said takes classical and quantum sciences together to have clear perception. He also made this statement. There are no unnatural or supernatural phenomena, only very large gaps in our knowledge of what is natural. We should strive to fill those gaps of ignorance. Hmm. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great quote to end the episode with, Ron. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. And if anybody wants to chime in on my stuff, it's ronmoorhead.com on my website. M-O-R-E-H-E-A-D. I sell both my books, The Quantum Including Voices in the Wilderness, and two CDs I've produced with sounds. Check it all out. Brilliant. Well, I'll make sure to put all that information in the show notes. All right. Thank you, Rick. Take care. I realized after recording the interview that this was actually the first time the podcast has focused exclusively on Bigfoot. I can't believe it took until episode 43. It was great to talk with someone so experienced in the phenomena. Ron's research is really interesting, and it's to his credit that he has persisted with that effort and worked so hard to understand what was behind the noises he and his colleagues have heard up at Sierra Camp. They are very unusual. It's hard to imagine the sort of entity that could make them. I say entity as I feel that we are dealing with something supernatural here, but that's not to say it doesn't have a physical presence. There's just this weirdness about Bigfoot that makes me think that we're not dealing with a natural flesh-and-blood creature. I can promise that it won't be too long until we talk about this subject again. Bigfoot will be a topic of conversation at Sphere HQ once more, before too long. Anywho, that's all for now. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating and reviewing it wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, sharing it on social media and following the show on Twitter really help it to grow and find new listeners. You can find some of the Sphere on Twitter at spherical underscore pod and on most of the well-known podcast platforms. You can now also donate to the podcast via Coffee. Some of the sphere will always be free to listen to, but the support of people like yourself is vital to its future, and for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can be a part of that. If you'd like to get in touch with me at Sphere HQ, please email someothersphere at gmail.com. It'd be lovely to hear from you. Until next time, be as excellent as ever, and thank you very much for listening.